Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Hey, everybody, we're back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we're here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. We have an amazing guest this week. I'm very honored to have Lion Goodman on the show. I'm very excited about this. He's an author, a subconscious pattern detective. He's got so much going on. We're going to talk to him in just a second. But first, I need you to do something for me. Go to bluecobracbd.com. That is bluecobracbd.com. And there you will find Blue Cobra CBD oil, the highest quality CBD oil on the planet, period, period. I say it every time. There's no other CBD product like this. And why is that? It is because the CBD is extracted from the hemp flower using a proprietary method called the HIT extraction method. This was developed by a man named Howard HIT, a.k.a. Big H, and it contains no chemicals, no solvents, no gases, nothing unnatural or chemically derived was used to extract that CBD. And no other company has that. There's an ocean of CBD products out there, and 99.99% of them use some form of chemical extraction. And Howard is the 0.01%. <laughs> He's a winner. There's literally nothing else like this. It's the most amazing healing medicine, magical medicine. And there's three styles. The maximum strength King Cobra regular strength, little king, cobra, and wild thing, CBD for pets. Because we want our beloved pets to have the best medicine possible, just like us humans. And we have a discount code. It is big H, B-I-G, and the letter H, and that gets you free shipping on any order in the continental 48 United States. And it has a money-back guarantee if you're not happy with your order for some reason. And again, no one's ever taken advantage of this in Blue Cobra's history. But if you're unsatisfied, you get to keep the product. You get your money back. If you had to pay shipping, you get your shipping money back. You get it all. There, it's a win-win situation for you to try this. If you're experiencing certain ailments, I know I love this product. I take it regularly. And again, as I often say, it helps me be my best self. So go check it out, people. Go to bluecobracbd.com and check out this incredible product. Howard is 76. It's a family-owned business. It's small batch. The hemp that is used is organic, Oregon-grown hemp. All of it is organic. It's totally legal in America. If you have any questions, reach out to Howard at bluecobracbd.com. He's available for you. So people, do me a favor. Get a bottle. Send me an email. Tell me what you think. BlueCobraCBD.com. That is BlueCobraCBD.com. 
And when you're done with that, follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That's the address. You can follow us there. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to get your podcast, click that button that connects us. So you know exactly what's going on. So when someone like Lion Goodman comes on the show, you know exactly instantly. You just The information is just like omnipresent. It's there. And most importantly, please tell a friend. Tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts that would be influenced by some of this information that's so positive. So many guests have given us so much incredible information. We have to share it. We have to get it out there for people. So I need your help. Tell people for me, midnightonearth.com. Okay, so we're almost to Lion, but we have to read his bio. And oh, what a bio it is. Let me tell you, people, you're going to be blown away, literally. Okay, Lion Goodman is a transformational coach, author, healer, and teacher. At the age of 26, Lion was shot in the head four times. This near-death experience kick-started his five decades of research into the nature of consciousness, developmental psychology, spirituality, and healing. He created the Clear Beliefs Method of Trauma-Informed Therapeutic Coaching which he has taught to more than 500 coaches, healers, and therapists around the world. His training is accredited by both the International Coaching Federation and Association for Coaching. In a single session, Lion can eliminate a client's limiting or negative belief from their subconscious mind, heal a childhood wound, or resolve a trauma from the past. The clear beliefs method is a multi-dimensional approach to rapid, deep healing. Lion has taught workshops and trainings around the world and authored five books, including Creating on Purpose, Clear Your Clients' Limiting Beliefs, and Men Enlightenment, which I thoroughly enjoyed reading. He is co-author of a new book, Transforming Trauma, which also includes Joe Vital, Marcy Shimhoff, Joe Demartini, and Christy Whitman. And he's here with us now. Hello, Lion. Thank you so much for being a part of this podcast. Thank you, Jake. It's a total gas to be here. <laughs> well, our stars aligned. I do want to thank uh, Jonathan Robinson for uh, passing the recommendation along. We love Jonathan. Actually went and visited him at his house uh, in Nevada City area. And uh, what a great guy. So thank you, Jonathan. So, Lion, you're a coach. You've dealt with so much. Do you feel like your life is dedicated to service at this point? Absolutely. In fact, as far as I know, it's always been dedicated to service. So even when I was a selfish kid, I was <laughs> I was really trying to understand how to serve others. Uh, but it took a while, it took my maturing process and about 100 workshops and trainings for me to actually discover my true purpose and then to begin living it and doing it. So at this point, I'm completely service oriented. I want to serve as many people as I can 
uh, before I kick off. Well, that is the vibe that I got from you instantly. That's why I asked that question. I, you, you feel like a soul, a light being that's totally dedicated to their mission, which I think is really incredible. I just want to commend you on that. But I want to talk about your life. All right, look, you got shot in the head four times. What happened there? That's a big statement. Let's, w- w- that doesn't happen to everyone. Like, w- what happened there? Uh, it is my most famous story. It's been uh, published widely or, you know, around the world in best-selling books. And uh, there's even been a movie made about my story. So, oh, my gosh. Uh, it's available. Yeah, it's available on my website, okay. uh, both, the, both the article and the movie. Um, so briefly, I was 26 years old. I was kind of lost. I'd gotten a degree in consciousness studies from the University of Colorado, and uh, nobody was hiring people with consciousness studies degrees. <laughs> And so I I couldn't get a job. I didn't know what to do. Uh, So I started traveling as a traveling salesman. I had a big van and I was taking jewelry and gift items around to stores. I didn't know what else to do. It seemed like a good idea at the time. And I did that for about a year and a half while I was trying to figure out my life. And and, uh, whenever I saw somebody whose car had broken down, I'd stop to help them because I was a nice guy on the road. You know, it's a good Samaritan. Sure. And uh, when I was driving through the Mojave Desert between Las Vegas and L.A., uh, there was a guy whose car had broken down and his hood was up and he was staring into it. And it was about 110 degrees outside, which at the time was unusual. (laughs) But today it's kind of common. And so I stopped and I said, you know, do you need any help? And he said, well, I just put $200 into the car and it's now it's broken and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, I'm heading into L.A. Do you want to ride? And he looked at me kind of funny. He said, yeah, okay. And he brought his stuff, duffel bags and some suitcases and stuff into my van, which was already crowded. It was like built out like an RV. Uh, And we started traveling together. And to cut the story short, we traveled together for about three and a half days. And I grew to trust him, sent him on errands to gas up the car, wash the car, that kind of thing. And the third night we were camped out uh, near a reservoir out in the middle of nowhere, uh, east of LA. And... um, he was in the front of the van. I was in the back of the van. I was moving stuff around. I was you know, I crouched down between these cabinets trying to make more room for all this stuff in the van. And suddenly there was an explosion and something hit me in the head. And I thought at first that the gas stove had exploded. And so I looked up and the gas stove was intact. And then I looked to my left and there he was with his hand propped up on the back of the front seat with a gun in his hand. Oh, my God. That was my reaction, too. Uh, and and so at first I thought he was warning me, like he's going to take my stuff. And at that point, I all I could say or think was, take it all. Like, yeah, just leave me naked outside yeah, in the oh desert at God. night. And that's fine. Take it's all yours. It's like, I don't, want, I don't want it or need it anymore. But then he shot again. And then I realized that he wasn't warning me. He was actually going to kill me. Damn. Yeah. So. At that point, I thought, okay, I'm, I'm going to die. I can't defend myself. There's nothing I could do. He's 12 feet away. His hand's propped up. You know, I'm, I'm a dead person. The second bullet did not hit me, but it came within you know, fractions of an inch. And so I said, well, how do I want to die? Because it was inevitable. So I said, I, w- I don't want to die angry. I don't want to die upset. I want to die in peace. And I want to die connected to spirit, to the creator. So I began putting my attention on the creator and and opened myself up saying, okay, pop, I'm coming home, you know? (laughs) So, uh, and, but then I was also expanded in space and expanded in time. And I, I was, I went through my past and I forgave everyone 
that had ever hurt me. And I asked for forgiveness of everyone that, that I had ever hurt. And by this time, I, he shot again. The third bullet also missed me. Um, but by this time, I was outside my body, floating above the van, looking down at this little scene and going, oh, isn't that amusing? <laughs> so it was it was not a big deal. I was filled with light and love and golden, you know, golden glow. Um, and I could see the path of the next bullet because I was seeing into the future. And it was going to come through my left temple and exit out my right, my right side of the head. Um, and he shot again. And this time my head was pushed over to the side violently. And blood was streaming down from my head, but I was back in my body. And I didn't understand that because I thought I was supposed to be out of my body. You had already made that leap. Like you were kind of like halfway there. Right, right. I was halfway gone. And oh I was just like, suddenly I'm pulled back. And, uh, and I, I was, because I had studied anatomy and physiology and neurology, I was looking for like what's missing. Like if the bullet went through my head, there has to be something missing. But I couldn't find anything missing. My physical body seemed okay, except I was bleeding and my head hurt. Uh, you know, my mental capacity was all there. My emotions were all there. And so I thought, well, okay, I'm intact. I don't know why or how. But if I'm going to die, I want to look at my assassin in the eyes. And so I picked up my head and I turned to my left and looked at him. And I was still in this golden glow of love and compassion. And he freaked out. And he said, why aren't you dead, man? You're supposed to be dead. And I didn't know the answer to that question. So all I could say was, here I am. Wow. And then he said, that's too weird, man. It's too weird. It's just like my dream this morning. And I said, what dream? He said, I dreamt I was shooting at this guy, but he wouldn't die. But it wasn't you. It was somebody else in the dream. And at this point, I thought, okay, this is quite weird. Uh, who wrote this script? And how did I end up getting involved in this movie? Like, uh, and, and at that point, I thought, okay, this is strange enough. I feel intact. If I can keep him talking, maybe he won't shoot me. And so I began speaking in a very slow voice and trying to talk to him. And he kept saying, shut up, shut up. And he was bouncing around inside the van, looking out the windows. We were in the middle of nowhere. Nobody would have come close anyway. Um, and so I just tried to settle him down with my voice. And at one point, after telling me to shut up a number of times, uh, he came up to me with a gun in his hand and was looking at my head. And he said, does it hurt? And I said, yeah, it hurts, but I think I'm okay. And I re recognized that he had switched. Something had changed in him. Uh, and so I began talking to him some more and getting him talking. And we ended up talking for maybe a half an hour or an hour. And at some point he said, okay, man, I, I'm, I'm going to take you to a hospital I know. And I said, okay, that sounded like a really good idea to me at that point. <laughs> and so he kind of put some stuff around me so I couldn't jump at him. And he went up to the front of the van and started driving. We were, it was late at night. And he drove for, I don't know, half an hour, an hour. I was all out of time. I have no idea what the timing was. Um, and so I had some time to think about it. It's like, what the heck is happening? I was 26 years old. I, I didn't know what my life was about. And I thought, well, maybe this is it. You know, the reason that I didn't, I couldn't see the future was because I didn't have one. And so I had a chance to really contemplate that. And then finally the van stopped and the engine turned off. And I knew we weren't near a hospital because there were no bright lights. And he came back to and sat next to me on the bed right near where I was crouched down. 
and with a gun in his hand. He said, I, I can't take you to the hospital, man. I have to shoot you. And I said, oh, why is that? He said, because if I take you to the hospital, they'll put me back in jail. I can't go back to jail, man. And I thought, okay, uh, well, this is not just a crazy person with a gun. It's a crazy ex-con with a gun. <laughs> this sort of elevated the level of like, oh, weirdness, you know. And uh, so uh, I said, well, you know, maybe maybe you don't maybe we you don't have to drive into the hospital, or maybe I, I won't I won't turn you in. No, I can't trust you, man. I can't trust you. I have to kill you. So I kept him talking and I talked about his background and why he decided to shoot me and when he decided to shoot me. It turned out he had taken out the gun many times, but I was being nice to him and he couldn't do it. And I said, well, what got you to finally do it? He said, well, I decided the stuff was worth it. And I looked around the van and I, it was mostly, you know, costume jewelry and that kind of thing and gift items and the van itself. And I thought, OK, maybe he could fence all this for five thousand bucks. And now I know what my life is worth, five grand. And so uh, at, at some point I said, you know, I'm really crouched down here and, you know, I'd like to get out and stretch. And he said, okay, well, don't try anything funny. I went, oh, no, I'm not going to try anything funny. So he let me out of the van and he pointed down the hill to where there was a kind of pond. And I started walking down the hill to the water. And I crouched and it, I thought, well, he could shoot me in the back and push me in the water. That's a possibility. But but I felt invincible. And so I squatted down and washed the blood off my face. By this time, it had stopped bleeding, but it was all matted. I, I didn't know where the bullet had gone. And so I stood up and I turned and I faced him. And he had a funny look on his face. He kind of held the gun out to me. And he, so, he said, what would you do if I handed you this gun? And I said, well, I'd throw it into the water there. And he said, you wouldn't, you wouldn't shoot me? You wouldn't try to kill me? And I said, no, why would I do that? I've got my life, you've got yours. And he paused for a minute, and then he looked at me and he said, man, you are the weirdest person I've ever met. <laughs> oh, my God. And I thought, yeah, I'm probably the weirdest person you'll ever meet, you know? Uh, so we walked back to the van and, and talked for more hours. Uh, and I got his whole hit back history and why he, what happened and why he ended up in this position. And it turns out he had been in the army and rated an expert marksman, but um, he had gone AWOL uh, and gotten involved in drug deals and stole money and, you know, all, all kinds wow. of stuff. So, so then we started saying, you know, he, he didn't really want to shoot me. It was obvious. Um, I had been nice to him and then I didn't die. So, um, and I, so we basically tried lots of different formulas for how to get out of the situation. And after many hours of this, uh, we came to the agreement that I would not turn him in and he would never do anything like this again. And so he drove to a place that he knew. He took his belongings out of my van. I shook his hand and he looked at me strangely <laughs> and I drove myself to the hospital. And the, doctor, when I finally got into the ER, said, uh, well, two bullets grazed your skull. He said, you're a lucky man. And I said, no, I'm, I'm a blessed man because this had transformed my life, but it also transformed his. He was clearly transformed by the experience. Exactly. What an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. It's mind-blowing because you took turns that the average person wouldn't take. You, you, you made like really conscious love-based decisions 
in the moment of being assaulted, like literally you're at the end of your life, you're going to be killed. And yet you were still compassionate and loving. And then that somehow went on this incredible journey hours you're saying. And then it ended up where really it, did it even pierce your skull or did it literally, it was just flesh wounds. Two, two creases on my skull. And, the, and one of the reasons why the second bullet did not kill me is because I was so relaxed. I was in such golden bliss, even in the middle of that situation, without anger, without tension, <clears throat> that my that my neck was so flexible because I was relaxed that the bullet actually pushed me, pushed my head over, oh, which allowed of... it to glance off. Wow, my yeah. God. Well, thank you, uh, God, mystery, or whatever's out there for that experience, because uh, it's a better world with lying here, so... Um, <laughs> wow, that's mind blowing. Like I said, it, it must've taken such spiritual fortitude, but then like you're saying, it also transformed you and you, it, it was a metamorphosis for you. You became a different person. Indeed I did. Yeah. It was like being born again, but without having to go through the messy diaper stage. <laughs> <laughs> and that's probably when you launched and your studies, your, uh, all of the various things that you've done, the workshops, everything, right? Well, I had started studying consciousness and the brain and neurology right. and psychology in college, but this now became my passion because I was, I knew I didn't, wasn't the body. It was clear because I was myself outside the body, uh, but it caused me to want to learn everything I could about consciousness. So what do you think in a nutshell? Now this could be a whole podcast episode, but what do you think consciousness is? Like what's your opinion based on everything that you've learned? I was very fortunate to have a really fantastic teacher when I was in college, but he had his own school called the Adventure Trail Survival School and Brain Laboratory. Okay. It was in the mountains of, of Colorado and Blackhawk. And uh, he gave the best explanation. His name was T.D. Lingo. He said, physics recognizes four elemental forces or four elements of uh, space, time, energy, and matter. And we know that space and time are connected. And we know that energy and matter are connected equals MC squared. He said, there's a fifth element, and that is consciousness. And the fifth element is sometimes called the quintessence, the quintessence uh, because all all elementals can't be broken down into something else. You can't say space is actually something else. It is. It's, it's the most elemental form of whatever that stuff is. <clears throat> and consciousness, similarly, is an element that is everywhere in the universe. And it's, as far as I can tell, in everything, because I think consciousness created the other four elements. Right. And so consciousness is something that, already exists. Some people call it awareness or, you know, mind, mindfulness or the mind. Um, and we as beings have a segment of that mind, of that one mind. And so we operate as separated off bits of the whole. So essentially then consciousness is the foundational element. Like, like you're saying, everything is made out of consciousness but it is an element itself. Some people think it's God, whatever that is. It's just like a higher form of us. And yes, we have that divine spark. We are just this uh, individuation of that, but somehow we don't uh, realize that we have to learn that over time. It's not uh, given to us at birth, unfortunately. 
I think we actually have it at birth uh, because when we're before we're fully embodied, we are awareness, we are consciousness. We're of this floating consciousness that's experiencing whatever our mother's experiencing. We're eating what she eats, and we're going where she goes. And we're we're part of her consciousness. And then when we come out of the womb and we're separated, uh, we become more individuated. But yet babies, if you look at them and you look in their eyes, they're looking around at the world in this swirl of beautiful awareness. It's just a delight to look at a baby's eyes because they're seeing the world fresh and new and they are fully aware. They are having experiences. And for me, that core issue is the experience. What do we experience? And then what do we conclude from our experiences? Because there's a patterning instinct in the mind, which is that we identify patterns, and then we use those patterns to survive. So a baby in, inside the womb can already identify a difference between the mother's voice and the father's voice. Right. So, so babies are starting to identify the patterns that will be useful to survive. And that's the beginning of the belief structure. Interesting, because what your institute is about the clear beliefs institute is foundationally in the belief concept and you're saying that belief is structurally based on pattern recognition and then is there another layer to that though like once the pattern is recognized is there like an esoteric layer a deeper layer of other information that's locked within that that's a great question uh First of all, we we absorb this pattern identification, the patterns that we identify, that we name, that we use, uh, and and so uh, our experience gets codified into these experiences. For example, you learn what a chair is not by somebody pointing to a picture of a chair and saying chair, but rather by using the chair. You sit down in chairs. You see other people sit down in chairs. You turn chairs over and you make a fort. And so you experience, you're experiencing this thing over and over again, but various forms of it. And then that creates the concept of chair. And then somebody puts a label of a word on it. And now you generalize and say, okay, the thing with four legs that you sit on is a chair. So this is a pattern identification through experience and through language, because language becomes a big influence when we're about a year and a half, two years old, and then we can start labeling things. And then that's an abstraction. Then we use those abstractions to communicate. So I can say, go sit in the chair and you know what I'm talking about because you've had all your experiences with the chair. I've had different experiences, but we can both point to the same thing and use the same word to identify it. So that's just one aspect of this pattern identification system. But then how does this sync up with greater sphere concepts like synchronicity, where there's some form of pattern recognition happening and yet the information that can, you know, conforms that pattern that creates that pattern is nonlinear. I mean, it's not coming from anything like chair that, you know, that's labeled, you could say. Well said. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one of my favorite sayings is I love the mystery. It's not knowing I can't stand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so at some point, you know, we, we go, yep, th that's a mystery. Like we don't know we know there's phenomenon, we're experiencing phenomenon, where there's, we're also experiencing noumenon, which is the word for like mental and experiential phenomenon uh, all the time. And there are clearly greater synchronicities and greater awarenesses and greater patterns 
that we're trying to identify. Um, Rick Tarnas at CIIS wrote a book called Cosmos and Psyche, where he's talking about archetypal astrology, uh, not at the level of, you know, what's going to happen tomorrow, but at the level of each of each of the planets and the relationships of the planets and, and stars is an archetype. And of course, Jung talk, talked about the archetypes that we live within. These are ancient connections that people have seen and identified. And so the gods and goddesses were archetypes as well. So we're we're clearly seeking those big patterns along with our own small individual patterns. And even the ego, even our self-beliefs is an accumulated set of these patterns, right? Who am I? How do people relate to me? Like babies form their their identity in the eyes of their parents. So if the parents are looking down and going, oh, you're such a beautiful child. I love you. You're going to grow up to be a great person and, and you're worthy of love. And I'm here to love you and serve you until you can serve yourself. The baby forms a, an identity of like, oh, I am a being who can who is growing and can serve myself. But then if your parents are looking at you and go, you're a piece of crap and you, you, you're a waste of space and meat, uh, that's the identity that the child takes on because we want we want to get the beliefs of our parents that will ensure us our survival. Oh, it's so interesting how we operate as humans. And then on top of that, how we're able to dissect that by looking from the outside. And you said in your writings that belief itself must be multidimensional. Can you talk about that? Sure. Uh, because our beliefs come from our experience, our experiences are multidimensional. Clearly right now you're seeing me, hearing me, if we were closer together, you'd be smelling me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> touching my arm. You know? So so our experience is always multidimensional. We've always got all those things going on, not just the five senses, but our six senses, our ability to observe micro movements in the other person's face, our energetics, you know, the fact that the heartbeat can be felt and detected 20 feet away, uh, the environment. So we're always filled with this multidimensional experience. And when we come to a conclusion, Conclusion, we've come to that conclusion from either one or many experiences. You know, I get hit once by dad. Okay, he got mad at me. I did something bad. He hits me over and over again. There must be something really bad about me that causes him to hit me over and over again. So those are the conclusions we come to from our experiences. Or someone indoctrinates us. God is an old man with a beard who's looking down on you and judging you and making you make will punish you if you do something bad. Okay, well, that's an external belief that comes in. But as children, we want to know how things work. So we take it in and we, we absorb it. So all of these patterns are layered on top of each other, but they're all coming from beliefs. Like, oh, if I if I do what mommy says, she will like me more and smile at me and give me bigger servings at dinner. That's right. a survival instinct. So we become like our parents so that they like us so that they don't throw us out to the wolves. This is very much like the concept of paradigms that we talk about a lot on our show. Paradigms control our behavior and paradigms are really a stacked belief structure. Like you have these beliefs that become like an, like an algorithm almost. They're identical words for me. Some people call them paradigms, frames, maps of meaning, beliefs. I use the word beliefs because it's just the simplest. I see. Okay. So this is something we talk about a lot actually on the show because we want people to understand that they have the ability to reprogram their subconscious mind. This is one of the biggest gifts that we have as humans. Like you talked about all the beliefs being based on the inputs of the environment, the parents, whether they gave them good information or bad information. 
But if we did get something, some sort of situation that we're not happy with, we have the ability as humans to go in and undo that with our conscious mind. Can you talk about that a little bit from your perspective? Absolutely. This is where the multidimensionality comes in, because once I realized that that beliefs were the key to this whole understanding I was looking for, what's the nature of human nature? What's the nature of human behavior? What's the nature of the world? Uh, the beliefs were at the core, just you could call them paradigms or schemas, whatever you'd like. Um, and so I wanted to understand them at all levels. And so I took over 100 different trainings and workshops uh, over a 20 year period, trying to get the essence from other people. Uh, and what I saw, uh, when I, once I discovered beliefs at the core, I took lots of different belief change technologies and, and workshops. Uh, and I saw that they were all partial or temporary, that I could change a belief mentally, but that the belief kept coming back over and over again. Or I'd have a big whoop-de-doo experience in a workshop, and then two weeks later, I was the same guy I was before the workshop. <laughs> and, I, and most of the people I've talked to have had this experience that that they do something to clear a belief or change a belief, and but the belief keeps coming back. It's not cleared completely. And so then I wanted to figure that out. Why is that happening? And what I realized is that when something cleared completely, it was cleared at all dimensions of myself, mm. physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, energetic, uh, social, relational, right? It just, that it was, it covered the whole ground. And that when I cleared something with one or two aspects, mental or mental, emotional, or mental, verbal, or emotional, physical, physical or physical energetic, that it wasn't a complete clearing. And that's why it kept coming back because beliefs, because they're multidimensional and we're multidimensional and our experiences are multidimensional, they exist in all aspects of us. And so a complete clearing requires a clearing of all aspects, that same pattern. It's got to be cleared everywhere at once. And when you do that, it's gone. It's permanent. It doesn't come back. And modern psychology, I mean, conventional psychology really only works to clear one layer or two. It really right. doesn't focus on the complete picture that you're talking about. And so this is what you created with your Clear Beliefs Institute, right? You help people yeah. do this. Indeed. And I teach people how to do it for other people as well. So are these beliefs that people have, these these paradigms, are they like attachments that kind of like siphon our energy, that siphon our potential? Well, they can be, but they also ensure our survival as oh, egos. Weird. So strange. Yeah. So, for example, um, here's a belief that's useful for a child. Look both ways before you cross the street. <laughs> That's a useful belief, right? I mean, yes. it'll prevent the child from being hit by a car. Now, it turns out that it's also a good belief for us as adults. If you don't believe that, you could walk across the street and get hit by a bus. So that's a belief that is actually pro-survival. It's beneficial. We wouldn't want to clear that one because then we'd get hit by a bus. <laughs> um if if you believe you're a spiritual being having a human experiences, that's a very positive belief. It's still a belief. And all beliefs are limiting, by the way. That's a real key to this whole thing is all beliefs are limiting because they take the whole universe and they crunch it down into a small statement of fact, when in fact, nothing's that simple. It's all infinitely interesting and complex. So, even the belief that is a cat, that we call that a fact, but in fact, it's a belief 
I believe that creature is called a cat. And what happens is, is that if you don't have that belief active, you see this creature that's on four legs and has a tail and fur, and it's infinitely interesting. It is a unique being walking across the grass, hunting, and it's magnificent. It's awesome. But then as soon as you say, oh, that's just a cat. Now you've taken that infinitely incredible being and defined it with a word and a sound, <laughs> and it's now limiting, right? So all of our language, all of our beliefs are limiting, but some some beliefs are limiting in a good way and they help us survive, and some are limiting in a bad way and they they hold us back or limit us or prevent us from being who we are. I think that it helps us kind of process experiences, even though they are limiting, at least in, in some sense, they encapsulate the information and the energy of the information into a way that's processable by the mind. Perhaps even though there are those, those words, they are limiting. Really, you should be in like a like a belief superposition, right? Where you're not one way, you're not the other. You have an understanding, but you're completely open to that being totally wrong at any moment. That is a great philosophy. I, I love that. I'm going <laughs> to endorse that. <laughs> uh, right, because pure awareness, mindfulness practices and meditation try to get you into the place of pure awareness, which is awareness without an object, which is awareness without ego. And that's a beautiful state to hang out in. It's not a great state if you're hungry and you need to go down to the store and buy food <laughs> because you'll look around and everything's infinitely interesting and you'll forget that there's things called money and and, and cooking. So, um, so, so the more flexible you are in your consciousness, the more you can, you can go into those states when useful and when, when worthy. Uh, and then you can be very practical as well when you're working in the world. And I think that's really what you were saying is be able to be flexible and open, like walking around in awe is a really cool state. Definitely. But you could also fall into a hole if you're not also aware that you have feet and the ground to walk on. Yes. Like, you know, it's the ground. It'll always be the ground, but then you never know. Like you just like there's you always keep that 10% open because you just don't know. You know, it's it's a good method for, you know, humans to be in a constant state of awareness and expansion like we were talking about. Yeah. And you did say uh, that beliefs play a central role in creating our reality. They, they are the thing that really writes our reality. We're, we're writing this reality and that's the foundational core of that. That's where it springs from. It's really easy to go wrong with this conversation, and I'll tell you how it happens. <laughs> um, our beliefs are like filters that we see through. So okay. we do see external reality through the these filters. And so they're shaping and coloring our perception. Now, do you did did I also create this cup in my hand? Am I the creator of that with my beliefs? Did I believe this into existence? No, this was a physical object that was manufactured by some company and they put my little, their little label on it. Uh, and, and I didn't create that, but, I, but it's here in my universe and I can use it, but I didn't create it. So there's three universes at least, and they're kind of nested. So I have my personal universe. That's my experience and my perceptions and my language. And you've got your personal universe, which is your perceptions and your language and your experiences. 
Now, those are individual universes, and we're able to communicate across this gap we have between I and thou. Um, however, as soon as we do that, we're now in a bigger universe called the social universe. And in the social universe, it's the universe of you and I. We communicate, we exchange, we spark each other, we you know have have love, you know all of the things that that you can have with another person or with other people. That's in the social universe. Money exists in the social universe. If we didn't believe in money, it would just be green pieces of paper and they'd be worthless. But then the the social universe is embedded in an even larger universe called the physical universe. And that's the universe of matter, space, time, and energy. And that was created before we were born. So we aren't responsible for creating that reality. That's already there. And I'm not, I'm only partially responsible for creating a social reality because I can say, I'll behave in a certain way so that you like me. But that is a creation in the social universe. And it's really easy to go wrong when, when people start talking about you create your own reality. So if someone says that to me, if I'm a skeptic, I'll go, okay, create a beer in my hand. <laughs> and, and the answer is, well, okay, I will, I will take, I will take your social suggestion to get a beer and I'll go into my physical car and I'll drive it to a physical store where they actually have the physical beer that somebody else made and they transported there. And I'll exchange some social goods called money and I'll drive back and I'll put the beer in your hand. And that's how I'll create you being happy. Okay. So you have to make those distinctions in order to talk about our creating our own reality. Well, it seems like there's magnetic kind of attractive forces. You know, people talk about the law of attraction, but that's just one law of the many laws that are out there. But you, you have this ability to set up that attractive force and uh, bring those things into your life in that way. So th that is kind of behind all that. Yes, it was man, you know, those things were manufactured. There's a worker making them. There's all those different steps in the material sense, but isn't there some strange energetic ethereal force that kind of also moves with that? Sure. Just like there's gravity and time and the <laughs> swirl of galaxies and, 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 you know, we now with the James Webb telescope, we can see how many you know, hundreds of thousands of galaxies, each with hundreds of thousands of stars, probably trillions of stars out there. And so, uh, but we didn't create that. You know, we're just we're just little moments of of beingness uh, in a body. Uh, and so we can look at it and go, "Wow, oh my God, look how big the universe is." Um, but we're not responsible for creating it. Is there a being responsible for creating it? Maybe, but that's part of the mystery. We don't know. Yeah. What about the co-creative aspect? People say you, yeah. we co-create our reality. So is there some layer, you could say a layer of multidimensionality where our combined energies mixed with our perceptions and beliefs kind of form the matter that creates this reality? Possibly. <laughs> I've just, it, it, it feels that way when things are influenced in a grand sense via media or things like that, when there's big moments that shape consciousness, things like, you know, negative things like nine 11 or, or bigger things like, or even just like with the queen's death that just happened, you know, p consciousness is shifting and, uh, it's, it's in the greater sense. So you kind of feel it when, when big events influence that collective consciousness. Yes, absolutely. Um, I, I'm one of the few people that didn't know 9-11 had happened. 
I was camped out in the in the mountains in the, in the Yosemite um, for on 9-11. And I didn't know it had happened until four days later. Oh, wow. And what I saw when I came down was that the world had changed. People had changed. Their attitude is different. Their, their eyes look different. They were speaking differently. And I thought, okay, this is a moment when either we're going to come together as a world and make things better, or it's going to drive us apart. And I was 50% right. So. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it. the world just mutates, though. Every time I try yeah. to wrap my mind around it and try to intuit where some of the mutations go, I'm usually always wrong. Like, it's, it's just so strange and beyond what we can perceive. Absolutely. It's much more complex than we have the capacity to perceive. And so we're, it's all best guesses at this point. <laughs> I often say that chaos is just a form of order that our brain can't understand. There's no such thing as chaos. It's all order. It's just, we just call it chaos because we can't process the multidimensionality of it. Right. And with chaos theory, they understand that there's, you know, physics of chaos, but then there's these things called strange attractors, which take the chaos and start organizing it into something new. I mean, clearly life is anti-chaotic or anti-entropic. Uh, you know, there's entropy, but life is the opposite. It puts things together into larger and larger holes rather than breaks them apart into smaller and smaller parts. It's very, it's all very interesting, but I want to get back a little bit to your Clear Beliefs Institute because this is very powerful. So what happens to a person when they go through this? So they sign up for your institute. Tell me some of the things that are going to happen to that student. And then what's going to happen afterward, after it's all done, where are they going to be? Beautiful. First of all, we have two parts to the institute. One is a coaching program where people can come in and actually be coached by one of our trained uh, trained expert coaches and cleared of their major blocks and barriers in their life. Really? Most people have three to five major clusters of beliefs, often based on childhood wounds. And those are the things that hold them back. And those a cluster can be a few or many different beliefs that all tie together and reinforce each other. So it takes some time to unwind that cluster. But once we can unwind it and we start picking off the beliefs one by one, then the cluster disappears, dissipates or disappears. And they're free of that particular pattern. So let's say a, a child who uh, had a, um, a, a violent father who hit anybody near them. And so they chose the path, the survival path of invisibility. Right. It's a standard animal technology called camouflage. If I just blend into the background and I don't make a sound and I don't I don't get dad mad, I won't get hit. So that sets up a pattern of making sure nobody sees me for the rest of your life. And so as an adult, you go, wow, I, I have a great service to offer. I want to I want to get out there and show people what I offer. But every time I go to make a website or send an email, something happens and I just collapse. And I don't know why. Now, the reason why is that early program that says, don't be visible or you're going to get hit and maybe killed. So, so we have to go in and we have to clear that complex, that cluster of beliefs that prevent the person from actually being themselves, being their beautiful creative self in the world. And so this is part of the process. This is where the, your answer, the 
your answer to the question before and after, like before they are stuck and and they're in resistance and they can't do what they know they want to do. They can't be their full selves. They can't express themselves. They can't find love. They can't be prosperous because of these old programs. I'll give you a great story. Um, I was working with a multimillionaire who had made and lost millions over and over and over again. And he was frustrated. He came to me and he said, yeah, I got to get underneath this pattern because it's driving me nuts. I I have $200 million one day and I got nothing the next day. And I, I would be I concerned. Said, okay, well, let's, <laughs> let's do the process. And so I took him back into the past through our process. And I brought him all the way back to a scene where he was three years old, walking with his mother on the streets of New York. And he looked down and he saw a shiny penny. And he got very excited. And he reached down to pick up the penny and his mother jerked him back and said, don't touch that. It's dirty. Oh, my God. And he suddenly realized that the reason he couldn't hold on to his money is because it was dirty and he shouldn't touch it. Oh, my. And that just is one example of how these paradigms, these beliefs ingrain in our consciousness and our little very uh new consciousness like a three-year-old is like embedding that information as money and it, and it manifests subconsciously throughout their life oh right. my right. god and you clear all that and i just want to say how sad it is you know when you related that story of abusive parents i just want to say how sad it is and how terrible it is that in the human experience that there is this concept of child abuse it really hurts my soul to think that in this third dimension we create these beings through you know coming together with hopefully someone you love <laughs> and then you uh, abuse that person. I don't know why it's part of the experience. I don't, I don't understand. It's again, a part of the mystery, but it, it, it does significant damage to humans as I'm sure Absolutely. you've experienced. Yeah. And there, there are explanations. One of the main one is that that parent who's abusing their child was abused themselves. And they learned what love is from their parents. We all learn what love is from observing our parents, how they treat each other, how they treat us and our siblings. And so if there's abuse in the family, then love equals abuse. If there's abandonment, love equals abandonment. If there is uh, care and, and, uh, and great affection, love equals care and affection. And so we grow up and that, that core belief of what love is starts coming out. You meet someone and they look pretty good and they smell pretty good. And and you you say, oh, this person smells familiar, which means they smell like family, which means they're going to betray me at some point and start hitting me because that's what dad and mom did. <sighs> that's all at the subconscious level. And so people who are repeating patterns over and over again in their relationships are in fact trying to find the love that they had as a child. So that's how deep the pattern goes, is we're looking for love, which duplicates what we got as children. It seems to have stemmed back, like you said, you know, the parents that abused were probably abused and then their grandparents were abused. It's just terrible. And, and the damage that it does, like you said, how it affects people mentally and, and it creates so many blocks. It's just terrible. Now, I guess I should ask you out of all of the cases that you've dealt with clearing people's uh, beliefs and their blockages, how much of it was related to child abuse? Like, would you say well, 80% of the people or was it like a common factor? 
Uh, first of all, if you've read the uh, Adverse Childhood Experiences study that was done by Kaiser and the Center for Disease Control, uh, they showed that 26% of the population had one or more adverse childhood experiences. A parent dies, they get beaten, so they get left at a gas station <laughs> for an hour. Uh, the, the, someone disappears, um, there's, there's punishment. Uh, and so... Uh, that's 26% of the reported population. We believe that it's much higher, at least 50%, maybe 75% of people have had one or more of these adverse childhood experiences. And so everybody's got something. If you're born in a family where you're loved and you're cared for and nothing bad happens, you're really one of the lucky few. Uh, and you should be grateful to your parents for ha having being sane, you know, uh, but parents are human beings. So they have flaws and they get angry and they they swat the kid because they got swatted as a kid. And, and that child has to then deal with that experience. It's one of their multidimensional experiences. And they have to come to conclusions. It might just be I'm going to comply. I'll do whatever mom says so she doesn't hit me again. It might be I'm going to rebel. I'm going to push against her every chance I get because I don't like how she's treating me. It might be to manipulate. Okay, I'm going to change mom's behavior by doing just what I need to do to get her off my back. Uh, or it might be to to run away, to withdraw. I'm going to withdraw into my room or I'll, I'll run away. So these are standard strategies for dealing with the, the stress of childhood and, and adverse experiences. And that's another pattern that gets set up for life, that the, the when something bad happens, you usually go back to a childhood strategy that you used to get through that when you were a kid. And so all of these patterns are the things that we need to unlayer. And any, any major trauma like a car accident or a mugging or those kinds of things are also places where people come to conclusions. Even there's a... a, a phenomenon called medical shock trauma. The doctor comes in and says, I'm sorry, you have cancer. You have three months to live. That's a trauma that can actually cause the person to die. So, you know, when you think about human experience and the wide variety that that's there, uh, we're, we're coming to conclusions all the time. Uh, the best uh, estimate I have is tens of thousands of beliefs that we accumulate by the time we're in college and probably hundreds of thousands if we look at look at it a different way. Wow, that's and and so many of those, whether they were abuse induced or even just really bad programming, like someone you look up to or someone you feel is intelligent, could give you really bad information early on, which could also create those blockages. Right. Don't touch that penny; it's dirty. Yeah, <laughs> or a teacher, <laughs> a professor, just having an opinion on something that that band is terrible. Like, and then you get yes. in your paradigm: oh, the band is terrible. You find out twenty years later that they're incredible. You know, like <laughs> indeed. Indeed. So tell me then about cognitive bias and how that affects our mind. Well, cognitive bias is a psychological word for the impact that beliefs have on our perceptions. So it's just another way of describing the fact that we see through our beliefs and that, that those beliefs filter our perceptions. So if I believe that black people are dangerous, then every time I see a black person, I'm going to feel endangered. That's a cognitive bias. It's also a belief structure. So you can, they're just two words to apply to the same thing. I just uh, noticed that it's something that's thrown around quite a bit recently. A lot of people uh, are battling, whether it's politics or various subjects, talk about cognitive bias. And uh, it's something I wanted to get your opinion on. 
Yeah, we, we have a lot of cognitive and we have a lot of biases. <laughs> so, <yeah. laughs> but why, why is that? You think that psychologically it's a survival mechanism that somehow it's part of our animal brain to have these biases in order to make sure that we don't get killed? Yes. Um, uh, you, you've probably heard of, um, um, sorry, the name just went out, Stockholm Syndrome. Yes. Yes, yes, where, where so, you uh, fall in love with your uh, kidnappers or you start to resonate with their belief structure and then you, you, want, you almost join them in some cases. Exactly, exactly. So it takes about two weeks for you to be in danger of, of losing your life, for you to absorb the beliefs of your captors. All children suffer from Stockholm Syndrome. Really? They're, they're absorbing the beliefs of the big people who could kill them at any moment. It's a fantastic survival mechanism because if you believe what your captors believe, they will like you more and therefore <laughs> they will not kill you. And so it's a built-in survival mechanism. And so whether it's a teacher or a best friend or a priest or a rabbi or an imam, uh, they are telling you how you need to believe in order to be part of the community and the community. We are social creatures. We're social animals and we need each other to survive. If a monkey gets pushed out of the troop, they're essentially dead meat. They're going to be picked off by a predator. And we have that instinct in us. These are instinctual beliefs. I need to belong and I'll do whatever it takes to belong because if I belong, I'll survive. And if I don't belong, I'll be killed. So these are just parts of the deep programming inside of us that comes from millions of years of evolution. That's really, that's really profound when you think about it, because we're coming from up from the animal. But you did say in your writings that you have beliefs, but you are not your beliefs. Absolutely true. <laughs> so tell me about that, because we talk so much about how beliefs make us. So how are you not your beliefs? Beliefs are like clothes that we accumulate. Like if you had a collection of all the clothes you ever wore all the way back to your dirty diapers when you were born, uh, your closet would be pretty crowded. Right? Uh, and those are clothes that you have, but you aren't your clothes. You can right. try, you can take on one of your outfits and feel a certain way and then take it off and you don't feel that way anymore. Right. You would try clothes on in the the department store and you go, Oh, this feels good. I'm, this makes me feel good. Right. We go on a feeling basis or somebody says, Hey, that looks really good on you. And so then that feels good. So we, we take these things on and then we buy the ones we like, uh, and we get rid of, we put back the ones we don't like. Well, in the belief closet, which I, one of the processes I use is called the belief closet process. Okay. Um, we, we have accumulated, you know, hundreds of thousands of beliefs some of which make us feel good, some of which make us feel bad. We've just never been given a tool for getting rid of the ones we don't want anymore. So that's what I provide is this tool. Uh, I, I like to refer to it as a machete. It's like if you're in a jungle, you can't, you can't get through the jungle, right? It's too crowded. But if you have a machete, you can at least clear what's right in front of you and then take a step forward. And then you can clear the next thing that's in front of you and take a step forward. So when you have this machete tool, when you have a belief clearing tool that works, you can clear whatever comes up 
and then you can move forward again. And then something else is going to come up because life happens and life's hard and it's complicated. And, you know, somebody says something nasty to you and you feel bad, but then you can recognize what the belief is. You can clear it. And then you're a free being. You, you, you recognize beliefs as just something you've taken on at some point in life for a good reason at the time. And it's not something that defines you. It's something that sh simply shapes you. Well, I'm glad that you developed this technique to clear your beliefs because it seems like the, the clear beliefs method is the aggregation of everything that you've learned, all of the experiences that you've had, every workshop, every book, every uh, client, uh, professional in the business, corporate world or otherwise, all of that information you kind of jam packed into this. Am I accurate in assessing that? Well, if that were the case, it would be an even more crowded training than it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, would, I would say that it's a synthesis. Ah, uh, there we go. The, the, the essential principles and then put into very practical tools that people can use every day. Well, I'm glad you discovered this. People need this. Like they need to remove this because we all want to be successful. I mean, there is just abundance. You know, the, I'm, I'm very uh, deeply involved in the abundance consciousness. I feel like it's a, the truth of humanity. So we have this ability to create this abundant life for ourselves, but it's only these blockages and these beliefs that are uh, unfortunately not accurate that are holding us down. Indeed. Indeed, you know, the, the apple trees don't talk to each other and say, you know, the economy is pretty bad. We should make less apples. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's just so much of it that's in our head. There's so much of it that's programmed that if we get different programming, the exact same thing is still in the exact same way. It's all very strange. We've had such an incredible conversation. There's so much that we can talk about and, and continue to talk about. I could go on for hours, but I do want to tell people kind of where to find you. So, so you want to take this clear beliefs training. You want to get exposed to the clear beliefs method. Here are some places that you can find it. Okay. Clearbeliefs.com, clearyourbeliefs.com. And I believe liongoodman.com also has that same information. Is that correct? Yes. It also has my articles and blogs and movies and training materials and eBooks. Yes. And speaking of training, there's one coming up, actually. It's uh, Wednesday, September 28th. And tell me about that. We call that Belief Relief. So uh, you can go to beliefrelief.net. It's a free training. It's a free two-hour training that helps you discover your beliefs, your core beliefs, about a particular topic. We've done one on money, one on relationships and love. This next one is on uh, marketing, sales, and visibility. So if you have a, a desire to be visible or you're, you're reluctant to market, come and discover what your primary beliefs are that are holding you back. And then we have a three-week program that follows that called Delete the Beliefs That Defeat You. And that's a three-week paid program where you can actually clear one of one or two of those beliefs. So uh, we do those monthly. So beliefrelief.net will, will get you signed up and you'll be informed of all of them that, that come up about once a month. <laughs> that sounds amazing. You might find me there, actually. I, I'm very interested in that because, you know, I'm, I, I, well, we could go on forever. I could tell you about that. But yes, that's something we should all check out, beliefrelief.net. That's September 28th. Go there a little early, check it out and see what's going on. That is free. It's absolutely yes. free. And 
you do appointments and consultation yourself. Like if you want to talk with Lion directly, you want to cut through everything that you're, maybe you don't want to do the program, but you're feeling Lion's energy. You understand how uh, passionate he is. You can go to liongoodman.com and there's coaching options there. There's a tab coaching options. And that'll tell you everything. You have a one-on-one uh, coaching relationship. I do. And I work with some marvelous people all around the world. And uh, I love what I do. I absolutely am passionate about helping people clear themselves because once you clear sufficient number of beliefs, especially the major core ones, you recognize who you are without them. That's fundamental to our process. And that comes back to your question of we have beliefs, we are not our beliefs. When you discover who you are without the beliefs, that is a marvelous moment that is ever expansive because that's, people call it the soul or full awakening, but you recognize who you are and what you can create, what you're capable of creating as a creator of your life. Yes. There's that self. You can just get to that self state outside of everything else. I I just deeply appreciate the work you're doing. You have some other places as well. Healingnarcissism.com. It's also about codependent relationships luminaryleadership.net and also creating on purpose.net. These are all places that you can find lion with different focuses. And there are books. There are books as well. I highly recommend men enlightenment. It's an incredible book. If you want to just kind of dial it in as a man, and he has some really funny suggestions for ladies, uh, you know, leaving the book around and just kind of, it's, it's a, it's an incredible book, but if you're just kind of like wanting to tighten up, if you know, as a man, that's a, that's a great book for that. Creating on purpose is available on Amazon. Clear your beliefs, the narcissism primer and clear your clients. Limiting beliefs are all out there. So if you are attracted to this, check it out. I suffer from multiple website disorder. (laughs) That's okay because there's different ways to approach this information. You can come at it from different sides and different people have different needs, you know, maybe, and they have different focuses. So I just want to thank you for being here, Lion. This has been an incredible conversation and we just ripped right through it. It's so dense, but before we go, you know, is there anything that you would like to leave the audience with. And we have listeners all over the world, 145 countries now, if you can believe that. So what would you like to leave those people after this incredible interview that we've had? If you don't like your experience, change your beliefs. If there's something you don't like about your relationship or relationships, change your beliefs. If you're not feeling fulfilled in your life, you don't have a purpose, start clearing your beliefs because they will they are the blocks and the barriers and the resistance to actually knowing who you are and creating what you want to create in life and all of my ebooks have a exercise called belief self diagnosis which is the beginning of that process where you look into your subconscious mind and you find out what are the beliefs that you do have and then you can go through them and say these these are good these are positive they're having a good impact on my life and these are slowing me down holding me back getting in the way and then learn the technique to clear them and free yourself because it's all about freeing yourself awakening yourself and being who you truly are yes and forgiving yourself just let it go 
let it go. Thank you so much, Lion, for being here. People, check it out. Go find the eBooks. Go to the websites. Check the other books. He has so much free content. The training, September 28th, beliefrelief.net. Go to that. You're going to probably see me there. Definitely go check that out. Thank you, Lion. Please hold through the outro music. And everyone, what an incredible episode. We will see you next week, Midnight on Earth. Hey, everybody. You still there? I just wanted to take a second. On these shorter episodes where the interviews are not as long as others, I just like to take a second and say thank you so much for being listeners. Like I mentioned in this episode, there are listeners now in 145 countries, which I'm super blessed and honored to be conduit for this information thank you for telling your friends thank you for spreading the word please continue to do so the numbers are going up every single day I have access to my analytics and I see all of this so please continue to do what you're doing and again I just want to say thank you I appreciate you listening every week so many of you are There's changes coming. I won't say too much, but we are bringing on Patreon. I think I'm going to start to do a Patreon. And there's other things I have yet to utilize, such as merch. Who wouldn't love a Midnight on Earth t-shirt? I know I would. I don't even have one yet. I've literally had uh, a merch section on the midnightonearth.com website since day one. And I have yet to fire the rocket on that. So there's merch coming. Patreon's coming. And I just, again, appreciate you. It's been such a great journey. Just kind of learning from these people from all walks of life, all over the world, all different ages, and having Bryn Anderson as a guest co-host so many times. She's so amazing. I deeply love Bryn. She's so awesome. And the Beyond the News episodes are just so funny. There's just so much weirdness going on out in the world. Like, every second. I just kind of filter off a few things here and there there's so much i have no idea about that we don't have any idea about that's going on in the third dimension in this reality there's high strangeness here on earth wow 
so I guess in this afterthought moment just want to extend gratitude to the most high for allowing this podcast to continue to grow and people listening to this if you've made it past the initial show and now you're in the afterthought section that means you love me I love you too man woman non-binary alien whatever you are I love you light being light being you I'm just so happy with this show. There's so much going on that's positive. And like I said, changes are coming. We're going to keep expanding. We're going to keep getting better guests. But you guys were there supporting me since day one. And I appreciate that like you wouldn't believe. It's so amazing for me to get to do this for you for the planets, for everyone out there. And the guests' information, it's incredible. Feel free to email me. So many of you have. Feel free to email me. Tell me what's going on in your mind. Contact me. Reach out to me on Instagram. As so many of you have. Again, thank you. I guess I'm just going to wrap this afterthought section up. I don't normally do this. I think I've done this one other time. And that was for the incredible guest, Soren Dreyer, who is the one guest that has graduated into another dimension. He's watching over us. Soren Dreyer's last interview was on Midnight on Earth before he uh, departed. So super honored to have Soren Dreyer on. And that was the first time I ever did an afterthought, which is what we're doing right now. This is the second time. I just felt compelled to because love to create content it's so fun for me to do this stuff i love it it's my service it's my passion it's my mission i couldn't do it without you listening you specifically listening and telling friends and spreading the word on instagram and facebook and all the places And as we expand and as we grow, I'm going to need your support. I'm going to need your help. It's community. I'm going to expand the community aspect of Midnight on Earth. So many ideas that we're going to pursue. Okay. Well, that's it. (laughs) Thanks. And again, uh, we'll see you next week because uh, next week is Beyond the News. I absolutely love those episodes because they're so fun. And I've got some great articles 
round it up for that one. All right, all right, I'm done. Let's talk again next week, next Thursday, when the episode's ready. It'll be there Thursday. Take care. Love you guys.